Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, Corona Boy. Joining us on today's podcast is Doug Clifford, a photojournalist at the Times, who was working hard in February and March before he developed symptoms that left him bedridden. He ended up testing positive for COVID-19 and his eight-year-old gave him a new nickname, hence the title of this episode. Doug wrote about his experiences, and we'll link to that story when the podcast airs. But we wanted to have him share his story here, because it's a reminder of how journalists, especially photographers, are putting themselves at risk to cover the story of the coronavirus. So Doug, in February, everything was fine. You were out and about. Tell the story of what happened from there. So... I hadn't even thought of coronavirus. I hadn't even, even, it hadn't crossed my mind even once uh, until the end of January. Uh, a friend of mine was traveling in, in China, and I saw that this uh, World Health Organization had issued a bulletin that there was an outbreak. And he and I were in, in touch through email, and I, I joked with him that, you know, maybe he needs to run for the hills because there's a virus chasing him. And I didn't really give it any thought after that, uh, but he sent me an email about four days later and said he was having a really hard time getting out of China, and that kind of piqued my interest, and I started keeping track of it. Um, but as you know, my friend left China, um, I went ab about my daily routine, and I, I was just covering general assignments for the Times, and we were uh, we have a photo team of nine. The, uh, that developed the visuals, including video and stills. And I was just covering general assignments, everyday things, everything from uh, uh, commission meetings and city council meetings, uh, food reviews, uh, feature pictures, weather pictures, I mean, all that kind of thing. And then, and then once the virus started spreading through Europe and, and getting into the United States, things changed dramatically. And uh, most of March for me and the staff was uh, coronavirus duty. At that point, were you anxious? I wouldn't say, I would say the world didn't really have a lot of information, a lot of data to make informed decisions. There's been a lot of blurred lines on how it was going to present and nobody was really certain who it was affecting and how it was affecting people. And personally, I'm a very evidence-based uh, journalist I like I like to see data and I like to to see evidence and I just wasn't seeing enough evidence so I wasn't very concerned so were you you're out in the field at the in March are you wearing masks and stuff did you guys I'm trying to remember where we were in turn I know we were trying to keep our distance a little bit right yeah so my memory is that masks were already starting to disappear um, I did make a run 
uh, mid to late March to see if there were any out there because I was documenting uh, supplies starting to become scant, including hand sanitizer, toilet paper, uh, even paper towels, wipes, uh, anything that had a, a bleach product in it or a sanitizing product in it, uh, the shelves were starting to clear. And so I was curious about the masks and I, I did check and there were, there were hardly any masks around town. They were starting to disappear. So I was working without masks, um, but I was trying to keep my distance because uh, early evidence that I was seeing was that this was airborne and that it was respiratory and that it could be uh, distributed as an aerosol. So that meant my proximity to people and especially in closed spaces would put me at risk of inhaling the viral uh, component and becoming sick. So that was my strategy was to keep my distance. So you're, you're like at the airport on the days that the governor's trying to decide to like ban people from flying into Florida. Is there a piece of you thinking like, holy cow, I don't want to be here or like I'm really in the thick of things now. If it's going to get bad anywhere, it's at the damn airport. Like what's going through your head while you're doing your job? Well, so it's March 23rd and Ron DeSantis has issued this executive order. Uh, he said it started at midnight and he was going to order that anyone that was coming into Florida from New York, New Jersey, uh, they would have to quarantine for 14 days. They would have to wear masks, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I found out about that, I my news instinct kicked in right away. I thought, man, this is big news for Florida. And my first instinct was I need to get over to TIA. <laughs> so honestly, I didn't really think, oh boy, uh, I could be putting myself at risk here. I thought, man, this is a monumental moment for Florida. This is where we're really acknowledging that we have a significant risk at hand and we really need to be vigilant. And it was a real, a real clear signpost that the governor was going to take this seriously. So I went straight to the airport. I was there at 1130, right before the first flight came in. Now, Lane, Lane has worked with Doug a lot longer than I have, but I mean, just to give people an idea, uh, I mean, Doug is the guy that is always the first name that comes up when there's a hurricane. He's the one, everybody's like, okay, well, Doug will obviously go. He's like, Mikey, he'll do it. He'll be in the middle <laughs> of everything. Is, am I right, Lane? I mean, that's oh, yeah, no, Doug's the guy you want to be with if you're in something dangerous because he's really like level-headed. He doesn't freak out. He knows methodically what to do to take care of things, how to like work the cops, work the first responders, get over the barriers and be where the action is. And I, I always feel safer and better when I'm with Doug, not just that he's going to make great pictures or video from my story, but he's going to take care of the situation. He's like the fixer guy. So yeah, well, I, I would say definitely the first guy I sent into danger. So what in March you started, toward the end of March, Doug, you started feeling woozy. You started, you, you felt hot. You Go ahead. It's like, it, sound, it felt like, yeah. a little like a regular flu, but you know, but you, you obviously had a sense. That yeah, so, so on March 23rd, I'm at the airport and I document those flights coming in. And I do recall interacting with at least a half dozen people that had come in from New York and New Jersey, you know, taking their names, getting quotes, asking them what it was like up there. And, and then the next week I was covering the safer at home uh, situation because the cities were starting to 
uh, enforced, uh, the county and the cities were starting to enforce the safer at home uh, orders that were coming in. And I went to a Pinellas County Commission meeting where they were deliberating that. Um, I covered a parade uh, for parents, students, and teachers uh, to acknowledge that children weren't seeing their teachers. This was up in Pasco County. And, and then I was documenting street scenes. So I was all over the place. I was in Safety Harbor, I was in Tarpon Springs, I was in Dunedin, and I was out in the street. I was interacting with people, but keeping distance, but uh, certainly. Um, We're with so Spring Breakers? Yeah, Spring Breakers. I went to Clearwater Beach and I remember when I returned to the car, I thought, I was playing a little game with my myself. I was wondering if it was my head, you know, if it was my my mind that was playing tricks on me and that I was talking myself into how disgusting it felt or I was trying to figure out if it was really that disgusting out there. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was kind of a fun, fun a, a game. game. It was a game because I was convinced that it was all around us now and I was convinced that, you know, there were quite a few people that weren't taking it seriously. Um, so fast forward to the last week of March, I decided to go out to US 19 at daybreak because I was astounded and had been for the week prior at how much traffic was out. Traffic to me was kind of a litmus to indicate how many people were out and about. And in the mornings and even in the evenings, kind of in the rush hour times, I was seeing thousands of cars on US 19, which tells me the services were out, people were still out shopping, people were in the stores. So I thought, oh, the news value here is I'm gonna, I'm gonna document this with the camera and publish uh, a picture to show all of these people. And certainly, uh, as I suspected, at uh, US 19 and Alderman Road in Palm Harbor on uh, March 30th, the morning of March 30th, there were hundreds of cars streaming back and forth at uh, the 6 and 7 a.m. time frame. But while I was making that picture, I had kind of a cold sweat. I had a little pit in my stomach. I was a little wobbly, you know, a little scratchy, uncomfortable, chills. And I thought, yeah, this is not good. This is not a good situation. And I rushed home and put the thermometer into my ear and Certainly, uh, I had popped a fever. And you, you pretty much knew then coronavirus. Like, that wasn't a doubt in your mind. Like, yeah, I, I got this thing now. Like, You know, it, back to the points about what we knew and what we didn't know about the virus, I did know enough and had been keeping my finger on the pulse of symptoms enough to make a general assumption and based on my exposure I thought yeah this could be this could be it and uh, something I, I was experiencing in the days prior to popping the fever is the bottoms of my feet both of my feet uh, felt like somebody had beaten them with a board and that's not an exaggeration I, I, I would get out of bed and I thought my god I'm not 90 years old what's going on you know I was hobbling out of bed in the morning for those days prior and I thought, man, I, I hadn't moved any furniture. I hadn't kicked anything. Um, I hadn't been in a, a marathon. And I thought, that's just really not good. It's, it's odd. But, you know, I'm in my 40s. 
you know, I thought maybe, maybe it was my age. But then as data started coming in and after I was diagnosed, it was pretty clear that that was likely uh, the result of the virus load in my body and manifesting itself in my extremities, which there's a lot of data now that supports that. So how was it? I mean, I, I feel like we were terrified for you, Doug. And um, like, but then I, I worked with Doug on the piece that he wrote and um, you're so calm. <laughs> were you really that calm? I wouldn't say I'm a fatalist, but I certainly have learned. I have some tools in my toolbox uh, to deal with adversity of one of those things is that, you know, I really believe in that you have to take life on life's terms. You know, life happens uh, every day. There's, you know, illness and there's fortune and there's, there's, there's fantastic things that happen and there's bad things that happen. And I really believe that, you know, when, when bad things happen, you have to slow things down and try to be as rational as you can be. And for me, it was, you know, maybe I was functioning on a day-to-day or even a week-by-week in my mind uh, rhythm, a rhythm of time of a week-to-week or a day-to-day, and I had to slow things down to hour-by-hour and minute-by-minute. And I find that, for me, that's a really good coping tool. So I slowed things way down. I made contact with my physician, and I kind of isolated myself uh, from the children, and I made plans to get up for uh to pasco county to a testing site i contacted uh the photo department and talked with um, my supervisors and we did a little bit of contract contact tracing to figure out who i've been in contact with you know that's just for me that's how i cope with things you know i was able to kind of slow things down and kind of look at, at it like going through the panama canal you know lock by lock by lock it's just a really good tool. I mean, I handle uh, everything like that. I had a major car repair recently and it was several thousand dollars. And uh, at face value, you know, people would be flipping out and losing their mind uh, just to slow it down. You know, it's just kind of a tool. That's what I did. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Were you worried about your kids? Your kids, three little kids, right? How did you take care of them and isolate from them and what were your worries from them and what kind of heck did they give you when you're down and vulnerable? You know, that's, that's part of the psychological game. Uh, when you're in close quarters with people that you care about and you don't have a lot of knowledge or there's not a lot of data, there's not a lot of evidence, you know, you make concessions on what you think is manageable and what you can do. And then other places there's kind of a slippery slope you know meals and interactions with school and trying to manage problems uh, like a scraped knee or you know questions about a a book report or you know needing help getting something out of the freezer you know you you're just taking it one moment at a time 
and I was really trying to manage uh, just being aware that the evidence was that proximity was keeping my proximity from the children was an important factor. And I worked on that every moment that I could to try to diminish their exposure to me, but certainly it wasn't perfect. Must have worked. They didn't get sick, right? Yeah. And you know, I have suspicions that the virus uh, has been here for a while and it's possible that they have had it. Uh, one of my son was really ill in, in January and, it's just, it's something that's in the back of my mind. I'm just, I'm just sus suspecting it's possible. Um, people might wonder, Doug, if it ever crossed your mind not to go back out in the field. I mean, did, did you ever have that thought of like, okay, I'm healthy again and this thing is still out there? No, and I had a lot of support from my physician and she's a very uh, intelligent and well-read uh, physician who is constantly reading uh, reports and keeping up on data. And that's very reassuring through the process of being sick. I was sick for most of 10 days. She and I were keeping in touch using uh, a video chat and also uh, texting. And she was the, right there with me if I had a crazy off the wall question or even something that that I was mildly concerned about, she went, she would take her time to answer questions. And, you know, one of those reemerging questions was, you know, the, whether the virus would give me immunity and whether or not, you know, at the end of this, you know, I would, I would be able to work and that I would be well enough to go and do what I love to do. And she felt, pretty certain and I don't like speaking for my physician but my my vibe was that this virus was going to work similar to other viruses and that my body would develop an immunity response and then antibodies would be present and I would be repelling that viral load if I came in contact with it again I would be repelling it and that whole idea has been bolstered since my recovery because I was approached by uh, One Blood which is a local nonprofit blood bank that uh, was pursuing my convalescent plasma for plasma therapy. And they took two pints of convalescent plasma from me on the, my birthday, which was April 28. And it was quickly distributed to uh, a patient in the BayCare system. And because of uh, HIPAA, I, I've, HIPAA laws, I've been unable to get information on whether or not it helped the patient. But the way I look at something like that is there's enough evidence and there's enough physicians and that, that believe in that it's worth the gamble. It's worth putting myself out there. It's worth um, donating my plasma. Yeah. I mean, if any good can come out of it, that's a wonderful thing to be able to offer people. You know, do, do you, um, do you approach your job differently now when you're out in the field or, or when you're preparing to do your job, do you think about, your own safety or your own PPE differently? You know, right, right now I believe I have an immunity. There's just not a lot of evidence right now that this virus is mutating rapidly. Uh, every virus is different. And when there's rapid mutation, usually 
the data that uh, presents that evidence comes pretty quick and early uh, because they they start to uh, sequence the DNA in different labs and lab A sends over a report to lab B and they say, wow, this thing uh, is radically different. This, this uh, genome is radically different than this one. Look how much it's mutated. There hasn't been a lot of those reports coming out. So I feel like for now I have a, I have an immunity and actually it, it empowers me. I, I feel, I feel like uh, I'll, I'll be able to do my job say, uh, relatively uh, well and safe right now. Why you look so fierce in your comeback photo? Do I? <laughs> what do you think? Um, you know, people, if if they're sick, what from after your experience, what would you recommend? You know, uh, this virus is presents in ways that they're still deciphering. You know, they're just now coming up with data and suggesting that children are having uh, inflammatory disease in their circulatory systems and the, and the pericardia and the heart. This is all just coming to light. And so we're in an infant stage for the discovery of symptoms. And I don't think there's a real clear canon or a list that we could go to that would say that one symptom is more chronic than another, except for the respiratory parts of this. Obviously, mm -hmm. people that have a respiratory uh, component that is starting to present like a shortness of breath or a discomfort in breathing, I think we need to be worried about that. And I, I know that on day seven and, and into day eight for me. I did have a moment where I started to wonder if my cough was too serious, whether or not I, I might end up in the hospital. You know, these are games that you play with, with, your, with yourself. And so the answer to your question, if I were giving advice to people, uh, I, would, I would say it's probably best to quarantine at home and really pay attention to your respiration because I think if anything's going to get you with this disease, it's going to be acute respiratory illness. Well, we're glad you're, you're all right. We're glad you're all better. Back out. Absolutely. It was scary. It was scary to know that somebody had caught it. And uh, especially since everybody's out trying, and you've got to cover this, this story. We obviously have to keep covering this story. So, You know, I'm really amazed that, of the dozens of people that have reached out to me in the pro through the process of writing the first person and getting feedback from the community and also my colleagues, the feedback that I'm getting is you're the first person I've met that has it. And dozens, I would say maybe over a hundred people now I've had that kind of feedback, including my family and friends. And I have, I'm the youngest of 13 children and my siblings have reached out and they've even told me you're the only person <laughs> I know, and they're all over the, the country. So I'm kind of uh, stunned at that remark because I was pretty convinced that, you know, probably a neighbor had it and every third person I see around has it and maybe my children have had it, you know, that I'm getting this feedback. So I don't know what, what that's suggesting, but it's interesting to me. 
we're glad you're better. We're glad you're back. And um, thank you for sharing your story with us. Because I do think, you know, we hear we hear about the old people getting it. We hear about, you know, families spreading it around. But someone not doing their job, um, especially in this industry, you can't avoid being out there. And I just applaud you for sharing this with everybody. You know, we're all exposed. And... You know, we're, go we're all going out to Publix and we're all going out to Walmart and we're all going out to Target. We're touching handles and pushing carts and picking up plastic bags and we're handling food product containers and we're interacting with our family and loved ones and our colleagues. And, you know, we're all taking these risks and the evidence is still out. Uh, so, you know, what's the difference between me taking those risks every day to put food on the table for my kids and the, and going out and doing some reporting. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. I need to keep my skates moving and I, I keep, I need to keep working to bring information that's relevant to these stories to the community. You gotta get him a Superman t-shirt or something, you know, like, <laughs> thank you, Doug. If you have a question for Doug or for Lane, or want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Or find us on our Facebook group. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Allison Graves. Music was composed and performed by Danda Gregory. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.